You and I are judged all the time. When John Mark was a kindergartner, uh, Jenny, my wife, was judged because we could only get him to school on time two days out of the five days of the week. So three out of five days, he was late. And we didn't always have his hair combed, and some of the mornings we were missing a snack. And it culminated one particular day when the secretary of the school said to my wife, Oh, honey, do I need to buy you an alarm clock? Yeah, all the women in the room are like, What? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, she did say that. And Jenny came home and cried. Ah, I'm a sucking mom. Come to find out, John Mark had sleep apnea. And when we had his tonsils and adenoids taken out, getting to school was a breeze. I mean, it took a half an hour every morning that year of kindergarten. We'd throw him in the shower, and it was like he wasn't even conscious. And it was this horrible ordeal getting him to school every day. Who Go figure. But Jenny was judged for it. Judged, sized up, labeled, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Can't sing, too fat, can't move on, can't let go. You've been judged, sometimes fairly, sometimes not. When I was a student at Wheaton College, I tried out for something called the gospel teams. The gospel teams were groups of students that would go into smaller churches that didn't have a pastor or needed somebody to come in and run their service that Sunday. It was kind of like a service Wheaton did to area small churches. And when I tried out, they told me, you can't preach. At Church of the Savior, years later, when I delivered my first message, and it wasn't even a Sunday morning, it was a Sunday night, the senior pastor afterward came up to me, put his arm around me, and he said, Max, you know, you can still be a really good pastor and not preach worth a darn. Either I've gotten better or your judgment's off. <laughs> and if it's not bad enough that we're judged by other people's, we judge ourselves all the time, don't we? I'm stupid. I can't do that. I'll never get out of debt. I'll never get married. Ugh. I should have. I shouldn't have. Um, Acts 24 kind of gives us an indicator that that thing that goes on in us is a precursor to the final judgment. Our conscience is doing in anticipation what's going to happen one day. But whether it's our judgment about ourselves or the judgments that other people judge us with, those judgments are sometimes off. And those judgments are sometimes wrong. You and I make poor judges of ourselves, don't we? And we make poor judges often of other people, don't we? Maybe that's why Jesus himself said, don't judge. I know. Did you know that that is the number one Bible verse known and quoted by non-Christians? That's like, they'll put that on the back of their car. Don't judge. That's their favorite thing. The funny thing is, the man who said don't judge promised that he was coming back to do, guess what? Judge. <laughs> Generations Community Church actually affirms the Apostles' Creed. We say that that's our core beliefs here that we consider to be essential. And in the Apostles' Creed is this phrase, from the right hand of God, Jesus will come to what? Judge the living and the dead. We believe that Jesus will come and judge one day. We really do. And so 
over the past five years, if you've been at Generations the last five years, and let's say you've come every Sunday faithfully, rain, snow, sleet, puking your guts out, it didn't matter. You were going to be in church, okay? And you were here every Sunday. I'm telling you that of all the messages you've ever heard me do, this is the most important you will have heard in those five years. I really believe that. Because understanding and owning the fact that one day Jesus will judge could really change your future because today I'm talking about your future. And that's why it's so important. The Bible has a lot to say about judgment. Maybe that's why in the olden days with old-time preachers, they loved to talk about it. Remember? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. I know. You're like, I had to read that in high school. You know, yeah, that was actually a sermon on a Sunday. Went on for like three hours. Um, the Bible talks about judgment, and it talks about judgment a lot. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, talks about judgment as a shepherd separating sheep from goats, believers and unbelievers. In Revelation 20, the Bible talks about a great white throne of judgment where unbelievers are going to be weighed and found uh, wanting and cast from Jesus' presence. In Romans 14, there's the judgment seat of Christ that's talked about. So the Bible talks a lot about judgment. Now, I'm a simple guy. I find it hard to track all these different things, and so I kind of look at it not with the, well, how's that going to happen, and when, and what's the sequential order, but more what? What's going down? What do I need to know? And so that's kind of what I want to present to you today is the simple what. What do you need to know? What's going to go down? Uh, it's like this guy who died, right? And you know where this is going. So a guy dies, and he goes to heaven. Standard heaven joke. He's up there in heaven. His name's Norman. He's outside the gates. Peter greets him. Norman, oh, so good to see you. Welcome. Before we let you in, we could use your help. Because, you know, we've been assessing your life. And <clears throat> Now, don't get me wrong. You, I mean, you didn't do anything horrifically bad. I mean, it's not like you were addicted to porn or, you know, you know, uh, involved in sex trafficking or something like that. You know you, you, you know, you didn't do anything horribly bad. But on the other hand, we couldn't find anything really significant that we, you know, that just kind of jumped out at us. We were wondering if you could shed some light on your life. Help us out. Is there anything that comes to mind to you that would help us kind of determine what should happen next? Well, Norman clears his throat, <clears throat> and he says, well, actually, yeah. There was this time where I was driving down the road, and there was this old lady, Lincoln Town Car, outside of her town car, nine or ten Harley-Davidson motorcycles around the car, and they, were, they had her surrounded. I mean, she looked like she was in trouble, so I stopped the car, I backed up, I got out, I had a, a walking stick in the back, I grabbed the walking stick, I went up, and sure enough, they were going to rob the lady. And I went to the leader, and I grabbed his nose ring and ripped it right out of his nose. And I said, if you think you're going to harm that lady, you're going to have to get through me first. Well, Peter's like, man, that's amazing. When did that happen? Guy looked at his watch and said, about a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> so what is judgment? What do you need to know? Okay. Matthew chapter 25, that's where we're going to be today. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25. Protestants don't like this passage, and Protestants don't tend 
to teach out of this because on the surface you read this and it seems like eternity is determined based on how you took care of needy people because that's what it seems like on the surface. We're going to wade into that today and it's Matthew 25 and uh, I'm going to read the first few verses and then we're just going to get into it because at the end of the day when it comes to judgment if Jesus is the judge I want to know what Jesus has to say about judgment and this is something he said and taught about judgment <clears throat> verse 31 but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit upon his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats in his left so in getting to this story Jesus has told some other things in, in chapter 24. Jesus has said, here's, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, and here's how you'll know it's getting close. Here's how you'll know things are getting close for when I'm coming back. And then he says, he tells some stories, and he basically says, now, because I'm coming back, I want you to watch, wait, and be ready. I don't want you to be like, oh, crap, it's Jesus. You know, I want you to, you know, slam dunk, be glad to see me. I want you to be ready. Because when I come back, I'm going to judge. And that's what he's talking about in this section right here. He's going to separate people the way shepherds separate sheep from goats. Sheep and goats in the ancient Near East in the first century were hard to distinguish from each other. Uh, the breeds, size, coloring. From a distance, it was all one bleeding, you know, blah, blah. Is it sheep, goats, I don't know. Blah. Is it eating a car? I don't see any cars. You know, you didn't, you couldn't tell. You could, it was hard to tell from a distance. And so Jesus, in the sorting process, because he's the good shepherd, he knows who's a sheep and who's a goat. Jesus knows. And so he sorts between the two. And <clears throat> throughout the Old Testament, the sheep is a consistent image and metaphor for God's people. So we kind of get that. Goats, on the other hand, the only time they come up in the Old Testament is when they're a sacrifice for something. <laughs> so it's never good to be a goat in the Bible, generally speaking. <laughs> All right? So at the, because Jesus is the good shepherd, he knows how to separate. And this Jesus, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to judge. He's the one on the throne. He's the one doing the judging. This same Jesus that John the Baptist said would baptize with fire this same Jesus who said that he came to bring not peace but a sword. This same Jesus who took a whip to those who were desecrating holy spaces. This same Jesus who welcomed Zacchaeus and ate with him. This same Jesus who spared a woman caught in adultery. This same Jesus who said, come to me all ye who are heavy, burdened, and laden, and I will give you rest we can trust that Jesus' judgments are good. We can trust that Jesus will do right on this day. Notice when he separates the sheep and the goats, there's not anybody doing this. Hey, I'm on the wrong side. His sorting is generally is recognized. Now, that's an argument from silence, but it's, there's nobody protesting. There's nobody protesting. Hey, whoa, wrong, wrong, eh. Why? Because Jesus judges rightly. All right? So, 
What happens next? That's verse 34. Then the king, again, that's Jesus, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king shall say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So he says to them, inherit the kingdom. Why? That's the four in verse 35. For I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger. Okay, Jesus had needs that they met. I know that sounds strange, but they're surprised. They're surprised. They're like, what? Are you kidding me? No, you Lord? No, huh? No way. And the kicker is, uh, in the Greek, it's literally adelphon mu, adelphon mu, my brothers, which the way we would say it today, my brothers and sisters. These are true disciples, the least of my brothers and sisters. In the Gospels, who are Jesus' brothers and sisters? Those who do the will of God, the true, his true disciples. And so in caring for the needs of the least of Jesus' brothers and sisters, somehow, in some way, they served Jesus. Now, this is the max part that's just max formulation, so you can take this or leave this. You know why I think they're surprised? And this is just opinion, conjecture. I think they're surprised because they weren't doing those things to curry God's favor. They weren't doing those things to manipulate God or to get in good with God. They were just doing them because it came out of their hearts who they were. They were transformed people. They were new creations. They were born again. It's, hey, it's how I roll. Somebody had a need. The Holy Spirit prompted me. I did something. The fact that it was you, are you kidding me? I have no clue. It's just how I roll. It's who I am. And I think that's part of the surprise. And so I would say to some of you today, I bet it's the case for some of you when you see Jesus someday and Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, way to go. I'm proud of you. There's going to be this part of you and you're going to think, man, I'm so unworthy. No, I mean, come on. And you're not even going to want him to look him in the eye because you think what you did was absolutely nothing. And then he'll say, you, know, you don't understand. You know the crotchety old lady who smelled funny and was getting food through the food pantry and you know how you showed up and you did, you know, that was me. What, are you kidding me? No, you know the snotty little kid who could never stand still in G-Town and who was wondering what God was about and what was true and up and down because life at home was so crazy and everything else and you just loved me? You just loved that kid and you told him about God and how God rolls? It was me. No, are you, kid are you kidding me? You? No, huh? I mean, be, I, th I think that might play out that way given what Jesus teaches here, all right? So there's another group, and that's the group on the left, and that starts in verse 41. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and, de and his demons. Now notice, the fire is prepared for whom? Devil and demons. It's not God's intent to prepare it for people. It's not God's desire or his desired outcome. 
Away with you, you cursed ones, into the fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. And I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And then they'll reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? And he'll answer them, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Same set of actions, only this time they're neglected. They're left undone. And it's the same reaction. There's surprise. There's this, what? You? Are you kidding me? Jesus? And again, this is Max conjecture now. I'm thinking the surprise that's playing out is the whole, the way they roll. Well, holy cow, if we had known it was somebody important, I mean, if we had known there was something big at stake, I mean, I would have gotten off my butt and done something. Are you kidding me? I had no idea. I just thought it was a smelly lady or snotty kid. You got to be kidding me. That was you? Of course I would have done something, you know, Lord King. Attitude, heart. See, righteous deeds flow out of a righteous heart. And unrighteous deeds, unrighteousness comes from an unregenerate heart. I don't think this passage is laying out salvation theology. But a conviction that Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to judge. And he's going to reward and punish. That much is clear. We know that much. And he'll determine the rewards and the punishment. And there's no appeal. There's no, you know, appellate court. There's nobody above Jesus. He's it. That's it. His judgment is final. And so he rewards some and punishes others. I read a seven, there's a 700-page commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And, and this theologian, after going on and on about this passage, this is what he says. This is his conclusion. We will all be accountable to Jesus for what we do in this life. Yep. Ding. So, in light of what Jesus says here in Matthew, in light of the fact that he's coming back and he wants us to be ready and he wants us to not go, oh crap, it's Jesus, right? In light of that, let me ask a couple of questions. And the first question is this What are you counting on to make things right between you and God? What are you counting on to make things right between you and God? Is it like church attendance or stuff that you do? Or, or benevolence that you, you show members of the family or whatnot when you got a little extra? I mean, what, is that what you're relying on? Is it really enough? No. No. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that what? Whoever believes has what? Life. It's not anything that you do. It's putting your belief, your confidence in what Jesus did. It's not trying to manipulate God. It's not trying to leverage the relationship and for, to get God to see how awesome you are or at least that you're not as bad as your neighbor. It's not any of that. It's realizing you got nothing and Jesus did everything. So let me ask a second question. What would Jesus say about the attitudes and motives and deeds in your life of the last seven days or the last month? Given the trajectory of those thoughts and those deeds in the last seven days or the last month, 
do you think it's more likely that you're going to be surprised at how much you did for Jesus and his kingdom or that you'll be surprised by how little you did for Jesus and his kingdom? These are important questions. I don't like to ask them. Trust me, I don't. I don't even want to preach this sermon. So how do you prepare? I mean, how does anybody prepare? I got four practical suggestions and then why this is so important, right? First and foremost, be a team member. The kingdom of God is a team sport. The church is a body, a family, a household of faith. It's a team effort, so be a team member. Paul talks about it this way. There are gifts and parts all working together to advance the kingdom of God. Second thing you can do to prepare is make God's kingdom your first priority. Jesus himself said it. Put, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Put God's agenda at the top. Not when you have time, not when you can get to it, but at the top. Third way to prepare is to give your best. Why, why offer God leftover time, leftover money, leftover energy? Why do that? When you're going to look him in the eye one day, right? I mean, we don't think about that, but we will literally look the man in the eye who died on the cross for us. I cannot even fathom that moment. No wonder everybody's like, I don't want to look. I don't want to have regret for what I didn't do here. And then lastly, watch your motives. It's, remember, it's the classic Pharisee tax collector. The Pharisee, whoa, I'm thankful that I'm not all that, and look at what I did, and I'm so awesome, and pow, I donated that five gazillion dollars that built the building, or I showed up every you know, Wednesday night for prayer meeting. Woohoo! Aren't I awesome, God? And God looks at that and does what? <laughs> so watch your attitude. Watch your motives. So be a team member. Put God's kingdom first. Give your best. Watch your motives. Those are things well within our ability through the power and the Holy Spirit to do. Why is this important? Here's why this is important, because some Christians will be rewarded and some Christians will not. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And this is really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is the way Paul puts it. He says this, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. See, one day, our motives, our actions... All that stuff will be brought to light. Unless some of you who are believers start going, oh no, remember, confessed sin is forgiven and forgiven sin is forgotten. So when you face Jesus, if you've been made a new creation, if you've been born again, you've been forgiven and Jesus doesn't hold against you what he's forgiven, right? But there's an assessment of our lives and how we leverage things. Jesus told far too many stories about people who were given something with an expectation that they would produce more 
because of what they had been given. And God's attitude with us is that he's given us gifts, ability, time, energy, resources, and he wants us to leverage that for his kingdom and his glory. This is why this is so important to me. I'm a pastor for this very reason. When I was 11 years old, I had a fire brimstone Baptist preacher scare the snot out of me into reading the Bible for the very first time. He did. He made it seem like if you didn't read the Bible, you were going to burn. And I didn't want to burn. So I started reading. I asked him, Pastor Larry, where should I start? And he said, start in Matthew. And I did. And I got as far as Matthew 6. And I swear, I remember the moment I was in my parents' living room, and I remember the way the sun was coming in the window, and it was like God grabbed a hold of my heart and was saying, yes, yes, yes. And it was the passage, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust can waste it away. Store treasure in heaven where moth or rust cannot touch it, where it's safe, where it's secure. Up until that point, you know what my life goal was to be? Because I grew up in a family where money was tight. I was going to be rich. I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to have three Lincoln Town cars. I was going to be smoking hot rich. I was going to be the lawyer on the back of the phone book rich. That's rich. With my own 800 number. Boop, 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 boop. I'm a pastor today in part for selfish reasons because I want on the other side to have something to show. I want to please Jesus. I want to be able to look him in the eye and know that on the whole, I gave it a good oomph effort with what he'd given me. And I want the same thing for you. That's why I'm preaching today's message. That's why I want you to have in mind judgment. We don't talk about it much in the church, do we? I mean, you never hear about judgment unless you're in like independent fundamental Baptist circles. But it's true because Jesus himself said in John, the Father has given authority to the Son to judge, and the Son's judgments are true.